broadcasting from a dark basement office. The FBI's most unwanted presents the X-Files podcast. Well, hello. We are back. And by we, I mean me, Josh. And once again, Dean is completing his drug-fueled vacation, just really going on a rampage. And uh, back in the guest seat is the one, the only, Carmelita. Hello, Josh. Hello, listeners. This is exciting. We got a lot of great feedback about the last episode and uh, got the opportunity to do another one. So thank you. Hey, thank you. I'm stoked. We still miss Dean. Dean, we miss you. But I am happy to be here. Happy to be talking X-Files with you. Yeah, I, well, that was my big takeaway from the last episode. Right after we stopped recording, we were still talking. I was like, I didn't actually say thank you for coming on and doing a goddamn show, <laughs> taking all your time and taking notes and everything like that. So thank you for the last one, and thank you for this one. No, this is a, this is a treat. It really is. So let's get right at this, and let me ask you a question. Mm-hmm. Do you believe in ghosts, spirits, <sighs> fetches, wraiths? I want Any to of the believe. Above? I don't, I don't know if I do. I don't know if I don't. I'm definitely a person who thinks we as the human race know very little about the universe. So I don't know. I don't know. Is there something that I have never observed that does exist? Probably. Is it ghosts, wraiths, fetches? I don't know, but you know, I kind of like the idea of it. I like the idea of ghosts. Right. It would be cool. It's it would be cool. cool. Yeah. Both because, you know, just because the the concept is so interesting and it would make our universe a lot more interesting. And then, of course, I think selfishly deep down, I think we all want to hope that we're not just fucking dust after all this. Right. Right, that's a little. That's a little part of it. It's a little bit of a bias part of the belief in ghosts. I think. Oh, for sure. That's. I mean, that's definitely part of it. Part of it is that wanting to be able to connect with people that are lost to us. The idea that they're not really lost. Mm-hmm. And then two, that when your number comes up, <laughs> that you don't yeah. just like disappear into the ether. Yep, I think deep down that's really most of it. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> do you have any do you have any uh borderline questionable ghosty kind of experiences? I don't. I have a family no. member that 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 did. I remember an aunt of mine had a priest come to her house and do a limpieza, which Wait, is a, a, a limpieza is a cleaning. So like oh. the priest like came and like blessed the house and did like the holy water and like drive out the spirits. Okay, because so like she believed she had seen an apparition. So an actual ordained priest Correct. did this. Catholic? Yes. All right. Okay. So not like not quite an exorcism, like no. a step down from that. A step down from that. Like if okay. you've like if you've ever seen you've seen Amityville horror. Yes. You know, in the beginning when the priest comes to do the blessing, it's like, let's just get the bad juju out of there. Okay. Okay. So it's somewhere in between like an exorcism 
and Scully's sister with crystals and sage. Right. Like, walk around Here's your Here's the thing. Catholicism is just barely not paganism. <laughs> Let's be real. You're not supposed to tell anybody that. I mean, it's the truth. And hey, Catholic listeners, don't be mad. I went to catechism for many years. Like I, I, like I know that the church doesn't want to hear that, but it's like barely not paganism. Just barely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think they got a lot of uh, – a lot of their early fans I think were hooked with a lot of pagan influence. <laughs> oh, totally. Well, and you know so – so you believe in the Trinity, but then like, you know, you venerate Mary. You've got the, like the whole like communion of saints. Like there's – it's – there's a lot of pagan stuff that was incorporated, and then yeah, just the third one changed, right? The Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. Uh huh. It's pretty, uh, pretty ghosty. Pretty ghosty, it is. <laughs> pretty ghosty. This is true. This is true. So, what about you? Do you so, believe in ghosts? Ah, uh, kind of same thing. I want to, but you know, I the idea of like an actual. Like the real, real ghost of, you know, of legend, a movie of like a actual conscious entity. I don't think I do. I've had like a few, you know, like younger kind of experiences that could have been like, oh, that was kind of spooky. That was kind of like a thing. Right. That could, you know, be explained by something. I I think I've, I probably told one or two of them on the podcast, nothing like riveting, but ultimately, you know, I think I'm in the same boat of like, if there's nothing else but us out there, well, that's kind of waste. <laughs> it's pretty disappointing. It's, yeah. It's a, <laughs> it's a waste of a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. A waste of consciousness and, and space. So, you know, hopefully, you know, maybe maybe they're uh, interdimensional aliens and not, not spirits. Maybe it's something that, like, you know, we'll, we, we'll never understand in our lifetimes. But I definitely think that there are plenty of things that human beings have not even begun to scratch the surface of understanding. You know, oh, for sure. And, I mean, even stuff yeah. we think we understand. <laughs> right. There, there's, there's definitely a, a lack of real understanding. Yes. So, As Dwayne yeah. Barry would say to humanity, you don't know Jack! <laughs> <laughs> and Dwayne would be right. Absolutely. Yes. And, but we are not talking about Dwayne Barry. We are talking no. about season four, episode 22. Getting pretty far into it. Elegy. Now, do you know the definition of an elegy? I do. Grace the listeners. So, an elegy. And me, because I don't either. (laughs) It's actually, it's very lovely. It's a very lovely title for this. It's a a poem of mourning. Mm. A song or a poem expressing sorrow for the dead. It's also a type of poetic meter. Oh, like a type so of not, the, the Greeks came up with. All right. Not iambic pentameter that no. I remember from high school that I have no idea what that actually is. <laughs> I have to get Matthew Anderson up here and give yeah, a piece yeah, yeah, on yeah. that one. So okay. yeah, so, poem, for, poem for the Dead. Poem song for the of, Dead. Song for the Dead. Which is a pretty damn appropriate title for this one, don't you think? It is. It is. So what and are I, you, love all, what? I love all the death stuff in this episode (laughs) this is i mean cut right to the chase this is a pretty fucking morbid episode i know really is (laughs) it's really a bummer (laughs) 
This is a fucking bummer. It's it's an interesting one tonally because you have like this very mournful like people being faced with their mortality and mourning the dead and then you have the psycho nurse. <laughs> so it's <laughs> the, yeah, it's an it's not nurse ratchet but kind of nurse ratchet oh up, my God, up to the 11. Minute, the minute that nurse Ennis comes on the screen you're like nurse ratchet. She's evil. Look at her. <laughs> yes, yeah. It's uh it's dark there's a lot of death and it's funny because it's it's a monster of the week. Um, but boy, does it really, Scully's character piece in this really adds a lot of, of weight and kind of a lot of morbidity as well. Definitely. So what do Definitely. you think about this one as an episode? Um, you know, it's, I think overall, this is a very strong episode. I think I more enjoy the piecing together of the mystery than I do the reveal of who's behind the killings. Like that's where it kind of falls a little flat for me. Okay. Yeah. The actual, you know, when, when nurse, not ratchet takes the, uh, takes that little slasher Dirk yes. to, uh, to Scully in the, in the bathroom. <laughs> that, that's the point where I'm kind of like, eh, I, I was kind of enjoying everything leading up to that. And then it, it got a little hokey, but I think this is a really strong episode. I think there's a lot of great character building stuff in here for Scully, yes. for Mulder, for their partnership. Shippers have got to love this episode. But I think even if you're not a shipper, even if you're a listener who prefers to think of Mulder and Scully in like the platonic friendship sense, even that is really well served by this episode and, and kind of what happens between them and kind of what they're dealing with. I think too, you have some, some interesting characters. Nurse Innes is interesting. <laughs> um, it's gracious of you to say, Oh man, she's something else. <laughs> you have, you know, you have these like lovable characters like Chuck, the fellow patient, who's just a human being. I mean, how do you not love Chuck? Oh, and my love. favorite, Angie Pintero, owner of the bowling alley. I love this man. Yeah, he's pretty. He's pretty lovable. He comes off a little, a little gruff that first scene, but but he, you know, you warm right back up to him. Yes. So I think that there's this episode has a lot of heart. It does. It has a lot of heart, and it's funny. You know, you mentioned our boy Chucky. We already talked about Nurse Innes. So the obvious parallels. Um, in this episode to um, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Oh, for sure. You know what's wild? Huh? I, I remember, you know, as soon as like the episode came on, getting back into it, and as soon as you meet Chuck, I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. So there is a little bit of a, you know, um, there are some parallels to the, to the movie. And, you know, there's an obvious parallel with that character to the character in um, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And I didn't realize until I actually looked him up that it's the same fucking actor. Yeah. <laughs> Sidney L- Lassick plays Cheswick in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest it's true. and kind of plays the same fucking character in, it's in this, which is the same character. awesome. 
It is. It's <laughs> well, so he's great. been in so many things. He's one of those characters. This this episode is chock full of character actors that you've seen elsewhere, and he's one of the big ones. Yes. Um, yeah. Also, the uh, the guy who plays Harold Spuler, Stephen M. Porter, he's been in a bunch of stuff too. Yeah, yeah, he's good. Um, you know, it's uh, it's it's a fine line, especially in these oh so woke times. You know. There's so many things that are – it's just hard to fucking basically do anything, right? Because you you have a character who is – any kind of identity you want to touch on and somebody's going to get fucking upset about it. And you can say maybe understandably so. But at the same time, it's like, you know, I I always go back to intent and like, you know, because I, I was reading a little bit and there there were some – you know, overall, the episode had pretty decent reviews, but there were, was a couple barbs thrown at it about its portrayal of men- mental illness. Sure. But, like, in my mind, not saying that it, you know, totally unjustified, but at the end of the day, what's the intent here? Like, it's not really to be an accurate portrayal of mental illness. It's kind of window dressing to the X-File in question and to to set up this character, which is kind of like... I guess somewhat tropey, you know, the sort of, um, he's kind of like a Rain Man character, right? Right. Yeah. And I think if I remember correctly, his di- his official diagnosis was atypical autism and ego dystonic obsessive compulsive disorder. I didn't have to remember. I wrote it down. Um, I was going to say, holy <laughs> fucking shit. No, I did not remember that off the top of my head. Um, <laughs> you know, which I, when, the first time I saw this, I knew what none of that meant. Well, I would hope not, because otherwise, I had no you, clue uh, what any yeah, of that meant. And even like the Rain Man thing, like when Rain Man came out, like like it was just some ailment that he had or some disability. Like we didn't know there was a lack of awareness back then. There's more awareness now, and we sure. have terms like neurodivergent, and you know, autism is something that we now realize is more prevalent than previously thought and that people are on a spectrum in terms of how it presents. And we know a lot more now than we did then. But I think one thing about this episode speak, you know, kind of that speaks to the intent you're talking about is that you have a character like nurse Ennis, who's throwing around the word crazy and she's using the hard R and then (laughs) you have, does she drop a hard R? She does. Oh, and, fuck. Yeah. And then you have characters like Mulder, who's talking about Harold in the sense of, you know, he just, he has a, he has difficulty connecting with people. Which Mulder can relate to. Which Mulder can relate to. So I think within the same episode, you see different people relating to Harold differently. Okay. And I like that. And and that, to me, goes to show that it it wasn't trying to present a caricature. Right. Yes, I definitely agree with that. It's difficult. Yeah. It's difficult. But again, I think that's that's my gut instinct is always go off intent. And unless it's like really fucking glaring, you just got to say like, hey. You know, it is what it is. They're they're telling a story here. They're they're making these characters. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, like – you want to like Harold. You do like Harold, I think. And and obviously you, you certainly feel bad for him. Not, oh, yeah. And I think what's important is that you don't just feel bad for him because he has some sort of, you know, or several neurodivergent 
um, <laughs> classifications, but because he's fucking in this terrible situation where he's, I mean, he's haunted, right? Basically yeah. is, is what he's it in is. Pain. He's scared. He's in pain. Yeah. And it's an interesting thing that they, I guess the one thing that I'm, I'm still trying to kind of filter out is where, because I think there's a question that the episode wants you to ask ultimately, and we don't have to answer it now, but where does the X-File part of it land in terms of why Harold? Because that, that becomes kind of what the question is and, mm. and Mulder's theory that he puts out is really what starts to add the heaviest part of the character weight to, to Scully, right? This idea yeah. that basically is he this conduit for lack of a better word to these, um, experiences to these, um, fetches because he is in some way doomed, dying, whatever. And then how does it, what does that fucking mean for the fact that Scully had is the only other person character in this episode that has, has another sighting mm, with the exception of Mr. Pintero. Oh, that's right. Yeah. He's, right, he's right, right. Too. But who, who also dies? Yes. <laughs> so there's <laughs> yes. a check in that, in that Evans column. Um, and, and I, you know, so that, that gives a lot of weight and I kind of want to set the whole conversation about, about this arc that Scully goes on. That's a whole conversation I want to have, but in general, I always love when an episode of the X-Files can do this wonderful thing where Mulder is the great believer and yet Scully can actually have an experience which is in some way more visceral than he, he has. You know, the, that's my, f- one of my favorite dichotomies of these characters is that Mulder sometimes, despite his absolute disdain for organized religion, is really such a creature of faith that he just believes without evidence. And Scully, who is the scientist, um, you know, but is also religious, then sometimes ends up in these situations where she has to confront her whole kind of convictions. Absolutely. Well, and, and of the two of them, she's the one that has been an X-File. More yeah, than once. The, the actual subject of it, right? <laughs> Scully herself <laughs> has of, made the X Files, you know. <laughs> yeah, she's got a she's got a folder in Mulder's office, and Mulder already believes. And and you're right; it is it is kind of funny. I, I like that too. That Mulder, who who believes and he wants proof, not because he needs proof, but because but because he already believes and he wants to see it and experience it. And, and Scully, who's the skeptic, who doesn't believe and struggles to believe even when she's presented with an experience, with something observable. It is. It's one of the great, it's one of the great dynamics of this series. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, let's just get into Scully's piece here because it, it, it comes up pretty early. So we get, you know, we get our cold open, um, which is a great one in, in the bowling alley. And then. The dead girl outside is the same one that the that Mr. Pintero there saw. And pretty pretty soon in the case, Scully has her experience where she sees a victim in the bathroom. And this leads to um this this hype 
or, or along with Mulder's hypothesis about why why Harold might be seeing these things, and then cue Scully's little medical situation, and let's just kind of take this whole piece and look at it. So Scully has been, you know, is kind of multiple times throughout this season confronted with her mortality, right? She has this ongoing inoperable cancerous situation, right? Right. And now she has this experience that she can't explain that flies in the face of all her beliefs that lines up with this insane shit that Mulder is spouting. And this is what, you know, despite it being, you know, there's plenty of episodes that can deal with death that can deal with, uh, tragedy because that's often what's happening in the X-Files is bad things happening to people. But you get a lot more weight when you're when that's tying into one of the main characters. So how important you, know, you you said you think this is a strong episode. How important is is Scully's piece in in the overall thing? Because you've said that sort of the ultimate, you know, the the mystery is interesting and the the investigation is interesting, but the ultimate payoff really isn't that great. So how much how important is Scully's piece in this, the character arc that she goes through? I think it's really important. It, you know, and I think it's cool too that in the last episode, Scully was gone. The explanation was that, you know, she was having tests done. So we know that she's ongoing. She's working with her doctors, but we also know that this is inoperable. So you're on borrowed time. It's like you have a a tumor in your head. Like it's... You know, this is, and we already know what happened to the ladies of of MUFON. So, you know, she's on borrowed time. And I think for us to see her processing that and and what that means for her personally and what that means for her as an agent working and what it means for her partnership with Mulder and their personal relationship is really, it's really important. And when we, when we look at, like last episode, tying it back to the deal that Skinner made, like there's work being done to hopefully get a cure for her, but that might not come through. And no, and you know, they're having to deal with this. And one of the cool things about this episode is that we get to see Scully. There's a complexity to her character that I love in that she's she's at work, you know, she gets the nosebleeds, she kind of minimizes it. She keeps saying the doctors say she's okay, which is bullshit. <laughs> like she's dying. Yes. She's dying. And, and she's not really privy to, just a quick aside, and kind of confirm this for me, she is not really wholly privy to what's being done behind the scenes f- with Skinner trying to find a way to save her. I don't No, right? she doesn't am I, know. Am that. I right there? Yeah, at this right. point she doesn't know that. So like, she's basically We know that. We know that there's a possibility. Right. She's rolling with science. Right. And the science <laughs> Which isn't is saying, not doing much for her. No. <laughs> no. It's, you know, she's she's on borrowed time. So I think we get to see her reaction to having the apparition appear to her. And at that point we don't know that the wraiths are appearing to people who are dying. So her initial shock is just, it's freaky to see 
to see she is me scrawled in the bathroom and then to see an apparition with its throat slit like that's just scary and she doesn't believe in that sort of thing so it's shocking and she doesn't want to believe it and then it it deepens further when Mulder floats the theory that that someone dying is the one that will see this this harbinger of death and then right. it really it, then she's really shook yes that's a good point because i i kind of threw it all together but it doesn't really happen all together those pieces add up um so what do you think about following i mean immediately on on the heels of of that incident what Mulder, what what scully i almost said Mulder again <laughs> what scully sees in the bathroom um what do you think about her not telling Mulder straight off the bat? Oh, so I guess two, two, two in in two ways. What do you think? Is it does it feel authentic to the character? And then just kind of how does it feel overall as like you know drama, entertainment, character building? I think it feels authentic on both fronts. Scully. Okay. You know, Scully doesn't want to believe that these things are real. So she, you know, I think to me it makes sense that she would hold back something like that because she doesn't believe it herself. I just, sorry, I just got this this picture of, of uh, Scully's office that we don't ever actually see with a poster <laughs> in the back that just says, I don't want to believe. I don't, yeah. I, don't I, I, do, not, I do not want to believe. I do not want to. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think too – what we also find out through her therapy session is that she is holding back a lot from Mulder in terms of how she's feeling about her illness and her fear and that she's showing up for work because it gives her strength. But she's also not being entirely honest with Mulder about where she's at. And so I think, too... You know, if she doesn't believe in the supernatural, she sees this apparition, she's going to try and, you know, reason away why she's seen it. And one of the possible reasons is, well, you're sick, now you're seeing shit. Like, I don't want to put that on Mulder. Because <laughs> she's already, she's trying to give off this aura of being okay. Okay to work, up to the job. Nothing to see here. Nothing wrong. I'm okay. I'm all in to do the job. Don't need to worry about me. Yeah, good observation because it isn't It isn't just seeing the apparition. That is not the only thing that Scully is not being upfront and honest with Mulder about. Like her whole – and that, that scene – I mean I think that scene with the, the FBI counselor who – actually, interesting little note, random, but – she saw that same counselor a couple times back mm -hmm. in season two, I believe. Right. Um, I think that is one of the strongest uh, scenes, sequences in this episode. Yes, agreed. And <clears throat> most of that weight is on Scully, just her, her performance. You know, I think, you know, our little, our uh, little guest appearance by this counselor lady is she's good, but Scully really runs the gamut of emotions and she does it so well. Like I think that level of not complete breakdown, that level of like kind of mm. being on the verge of tears mm -hmm. and making it believable. That's, 
that's a, a pretty challenging uh, performance to pull off. And she, she kind of touches that threshold a few times through it. And it's so believable because, you know, it, that's a great thing about having a scene with, with a therapist because, you know, it's great to show emotions, but to really get the inside of a character, how can you have a character, you know, sort of just, um, talk, you know, like tell the audience what's going on inside their head and make it yes. believable. You put them in a fucking, put them, sit them down with a shrink, right? Absolutely. And it really and, works uh, here. That, that scene plays really well. Um, Christine Wiles is the, is the actress who plays, um, the agency therapist and she's, she is really good. Like she does the therapist thing. Very like authentic. Kind of, you know, kind of asking questions that kind of open the conversation to get Scully talking, like all of that feels very authentic. And yeah, Scully's the way that she's talking through it and getting emotional, but she's trying to hold, hold back from like completely breaking down. It like I buy it. I've been there and I buy it. Yeah. Yep. I, I, I also buy it and it does come across of, you know, not just Scully, like being really willing to tell this counselor or something, but her coming, like you said, coming to this realization when she talks about how important Mulder has been for her, in general, but specifically in dealing with this, you know, this condition that she's going through, this medical condition that she reveals to the counselor, um, it really feels like she's coming to that conclusion as she's processing this, as she's talking about it, and it really pulling these emotions out that are very hard for her to grapple with. No, that's a great point, and that's that's one of my favorite things to come out of that conversation. Because let's be real. We often, like, we all know, we're all very clear on how helpful Scully is to Mulder. Like, how much he depends on her pragmatism and her ability to reason and how solid she is. Like, we all know that he depends on her. So, oh, obviously. The obvious, <laughs> so obvious. Clear. It's clear. We all know that. <laughs> yes. I love that Scully, in, in, talking through it comes to that realization that her partnership with Mulder, she gets something from it too. And she's drawing strength from him. And that's really neat because, you know, partnerships are about give and take. It isn't really a partnership if one person does all the giving and another person does all the taking. So yeah, and, I love and we that. We certainly here at the X-Files podcast, most often Dean and I, we certainly give Mulder more than his fair share of shit <laughs> for being, in general, a pretty shitty partner <laughs> a lot of times, putting Scully in danger, not being fully honest with her, kind of throwing her into these situations. And it, I think for, for the audience and for these characters, it is so important that we do get, we do get to see and believe how important Mulder is to Scully and not like we've never seen it before, but I think a lot of times what we see in the show is Mulder needing Scully in a emotional way as a, as a support, as a grounding thing. And a lot of times 
you know, Mulder kind of saves Scully, you know, in more than one occasion in, in kind of a direct kind of visceral threat situation. Sure. And that's great. And it does go both ways for sure. But I, it's not as often that we get this insight into, you know, how much Mulder emotionally means to Scully. Right. Right. And, and I think, what do you think about, cause I kind of feel like as she's going through this processing her feelings, talking about it with the, with the counselor, do you think she views the fact that she had this experience and she didn't tell Mulder about it, that there's some guilt there that almost like a betrayal? Mm, that's a good question. Cause I, I think no, I kind of got to that point of, of yeah. feeling that way. No, I think you're right, and I, and it definitely becomes evident later on. But no, I think that you are right. I think you start to see it there that she, I think she kind of knows that she should have said something. Right. Like she held back, because, and she probably shouldn't have. Yeah, because, you know, for all of Mulder's faults, and there's many, many, um, <laughs> he certainly never holds back in in sharing his his crazy with, with Scully. Right. You know, he might not tell her key facts of a case or where he's going or what he's doing when he hangs up the phone suddenly, but he will always tell her when he, you know, thinks he experiences something or he thinks, you know, he knows what, what's actually happening, whatever. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think, I think Scully finds herself kind of feeling guilty for, for not returning the favor in the same way. Right. No, I think you're right. And I, I really appreciate the authenticity in this because I, I think this is very real. You can have that guilt, like you can recognize about yourself that like I hold back, like I didn't, I didn't share with somebody something important and feel yeah. that and still continue to do it because. <laughs> <laughs> because we're humans and we're good at we're having, Having conflicting and some sometimes hypocritical yes, <laughs> opinions. Yes. Well, and you know, as as much as I think that guilt is there, there's also she still is a person who doesn't want to admit to the a weakness, to a vulnerability. She and she doesn't want him to worry, and so she might recognize that she sh- should have said something, and it it wasn't necessarily the right thing to do to withhold that information but she also still wants to keep coming to work and drawing that strength from him and not have him worry and not bring down the team yes because that's the other thing we we've we get from this interaction with the counselor is Mulder specifically is very important but but the work and her being a, a part of this and Mulder really driving the boat in in that professional sense of you know, being part of the X Files, how how important that is for her to maintain her her focus and her energy on, and I think it's you can call it escapist or or whatever, but ultimately she's kind of in a situation where she doesn't really have a lot of options in how to deal with this this condition she's she's been dealt, and she comes to rely on on the work and and Mulder as as the driving force of that quest for truth. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, this makes sense, right? Cause what's her alternative? Ah. Like to go sit in her apartment and just wait to die. Right. Right. I mean, but I think, you, you know, know, like, yeah, she wants re- to be useful and 
But realistically, I mean, I think most people in this situation, what are they doing? They're they're out on medical leave, <laughs> right. which like obviously professionally would be completely allowed. Oh, totally. And but where how if if there is literally no treatment, how is that going to help a person? You know, right? Beyond just the physical sense of well, get your rest, do whatever, you can say that. You know, she's probably yeah. There's no treatment, but are you kind of putting yourself to more ordeals and stress and whatever? But mentally and you know emotionally you need you need something you need some sort of outlet some sort of thing to do beyond just dwelling on something that's out of your hands oh definitely well and you know and here's the thing too with scully is that she has over the years made the x-files her life yeah <laughs> like your unfortunately average, your average person often. could take the leave from work but they'd have, you know, they'd have a spouse or kids to spend time with, or they would have hobbies or, you know, whatever, whatever, just kind of other life, extracurricular activities that they could do, you know, to enrich their time. So, Scully, so you're saying this Scully, toxic relationship with Mulder, <laughs> where mean, you know, he has I mean, stripped she, everything else in her life away. Sorry. I mean, it's a choice she made. She made a choice. <laughs> no, he didn't yes. take it from her. She made a choice. And a it's gradual, a choice. step by step. Yes, yeah, step by step. Her life has become the X Files, and she has struggled with that at times. But it is kind of the her purpose at this point. It's the thing. It's the driving force in her life. So yeah, I think you're yeah. right there. Yeah. This is this is what she this is what she does. It's what gives her purpose. It's what gets her up in the morning. So there she is. So I want to hold off on the I guess the final part of this whole character arc is obviously you know the, the there's a great little scene with Scully and Mulder at the at the end of the episode. Let's hold and kind of wrap on that, and I want to talk about the investigation. But first, I have an, a question, a very Ooh. important question that. I actually meant to lead the episode with, and I forgot. So let me open a beverage here. It's never and ask too late. you something that I'm sure every listener of the X Files podcast that tuned in last week is dying to know, which is: Did you watch the 1998 film The Mighty? Not yet. God damn it! Not yet, but I'm going to. I promise. <laughs> oh, I, I, for, I pinky I for, swear. You know, I have been, uh, you know. Taking a peek on, on, on Facebook and I was like, you know, see, see your double features posting. And we certainly talked last time around, you know, zero sum why Scully wasn't there. Jillian Anderson was off filming this movie. So you're going to need to get back to us on this. All right. I am. So if yes. you're, if it's not in a guest spot, you're going to have to write in. You're going to have to give us, I want to, I want a one paragraph review of the mighty <laughs> and Dean and I will share it with the listeners. Deal. Okay. Fair enough. So that being said, uh, I, let's talk about the the whole the the mystery, the X file, the investigation, and I want to kind of talk through if it actually really works and makes sense together. Okay. Okay. This ought to be so, this ought to be interesting. <laughs> all right, because I think it works in terms of entertainment. Yes. But does it really fucking make sense? Right. Is is the and I'm not saying it doesn't. No, this but, is a valid question. So, 
let, let me lay this out and you tell me what I'm missing. So okay. what's happening here is this man, Harold, is he is getting well he he has these these girls he he okay this is gonna sound creepy <laughs> we're trying to make this guy lovable <laughs> this is gonna come off wrong but yes there are these young attractive women that go to this bowling alley that he ends up you know i think quote unquote falling in love with never never speaks to them never does anything overtly creepy but obviously has some interest and nurse not ratchet is is onto it and she's a bitter cunt. And so she's, obviously whatever beauty she's had in her past has long since waved goodbye to her oh. along with her husband. And, and I think that whole thing about her husband running off with, with a young woman that that's definitely tying in here. So, right. okay. So we have our motivation here. So she's killing these, these hotties that uh-huh. Harold is, is keen to. Um, and, when she's going to kill each one, Harold is getting a premonition, this fetch wraith, whatever you want to call it, that's coming to him right before or as they're dying about their death. Right. And that may or may not be because he's doomed himself. And that's why people see these apparitions like Mr. Bowling Alley and maybe Scully. And along with that, there's some messages she is me. Uh-huh. So do I <laughs> am I getting it right and does that make sense? So I think you covered it all. That's that's basically the thing. Well, no, okay. So let's back this up. Let's back this up. Because it doesn't entirely <laughs> make sense. I'm just gonna leave with that. Okay. <laughs> it doesn't entirely all make right. sense. It there's a there's a couple of, of points where it's it's a little thin. Okay. Okay. So, Harold is a voluntary patient at the institution where Nurse Ennis works. And Nurse Ennis has been taking his medication. So, she's strung out. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that part, which is bizarre. Right. Well, and this is what's stupid. Okay. If you're going to be stealing medication, you don't steal it from the same patient every time, dummy. <laughs> Also, is that how medication works? If you take the medication of a crazy person, you become crazy? I I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> so, so strung out nurse Ennis has been stealing Harold's medication. She clearly is really fixated on him. Why? I don't know. That's a good question. <laughs> She's fixated <laughs> on him. She... He works at the bowling alley where he comes into contact with people of the public, the the bowling the bowling community. And <laughs> yes. The greater the greater bowling community of Washington DC. Yes. Okay. And at this bowling alley, he has made the acquaintance of some of the regulars who are nice young ladies and he has he has crushes on them. And Nurse Innes because apparently when you're middle-aged and you're strung out and your husband ran off with someone younger, you just want to kill everyone else's happiness. So she just murders a bunch of young women because Harold's <laughs> crushing on them? Yeah. 
feel I feel like he probably wasn't the happiest person in the world. I feel like there's a lot more people out there that right. are more fitting of uh this fit of jealousy she has, right? Yes. Yeah, because Harold <laughs> didn't have a relationship with these women like No. And and it's it's brutally uh it's a brutal scene when she when Nurse Innes there is saying like you know, you think you have a chance. You're a you're a troll, like whatever. Oh, it's awful. Uh, but unfortunately, it's also kind of true, right? I mean, he's a middle aged man with some pretty severe mental issues, who's not exactly a looker himself. Obviously, he's not going to bed down with the homecoming queen. And I don't even know if that's obviously like where his mind is going. I think it's right, a, a much right. more, you know, quote unquote innocent way. But like, it, you know, I mean, you got to. Punch up a little bit. I mean, I know your best years are behind you, Miss Miss Innes, but <laughs> is there not is there not someone more fitting? You know, is there not like a kind of a, a good looking doctor in the hospital that you could fucking try to ruin their life? Right. Yeah. That. I mean, it's it's really punching Innes, down. Yeah, Nurse Innes's motivations is is where I think this episode gets a little. Sure, but she is crazy because she's taking a crazy person's medication. Yeah, she's strung out. Here's another thing that I totally don't get. Okay. She is me. Mm. Who is she and who is the me? (laughs) Right. Besides the fact that it looks cool sprawled in blood on a mirror. Oh, it looks cool. It looks very cool. (laughs) So let's get real. And, you know, scratch on a bowling alley floor. But, like, what, what is that? I don't I don't think I get that at all. I am not sure. Honestly, not what? sure. And and when Scully So we get an exposition dump from Scully to Mulder after she has to shoot Nurse Innes who attacks her. And, yes, and the, you know the action packed climax of the yes, episode. And and Scully kind of ran off half cocked like she didn't let Mulder know any of what Chuck had told her about Nurse Innes. She just goes by herself to confront her. You know what she did there? Not smart. You know what she did? What? She pulled a Mulder. She pulled a Mulder, yeah. That is a Mulder move through Absolutely. and through. Absolutely. <laughs> so, you know, so then she has to backtrack. Like, after Mulder comes, he hears the shot and – and the thing breaks up and they apprehend Nurse Innes, then Scully has to give this info dump to Mulder about what the motivations were. And she says, and and they bring up the she is me thing, and she kind of says something along the lines of like, it has something to do with Nurse Innes, but like, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, this is where we need a live chat. We need a live chat to back us up because somebody (laughs) must have a theory about what this means. Right. Like, I think... Prior to that reveal, like my thought was maybe the she is me thing is about is about death because hmm. a dying person is the one that sees the wraith. And so it's kind of like that whole memento mori, like it's the whole there but for the grace of God go I kind of thing. Okay. Where it's like the wraith is a is a dying person, I am a dying person, she is me. Okay, right, because Maybe. Maybe. the the apparition is actually appearing to Harold or in some cases to other people 
um, right. before they die. So it's not actually that person's ghost because Mulder does kind of break down some ghost definitions, right? Because he, he has like the ghost encyclopedia memorized. Yes, of course. So this this what, Death Harbinger, whatever he calls uh-huh. it, um, th- th- Death Omen, I think that's what it is. It's not actually that person's ghost. It's this other thing. So it's that is the entity that is saying she is me. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. You know, or is it that, you know, it's it's relating to the women and to Nurse Innes, which is basically every woman will become a bitter, resentful, horrible person once beauty leaves them. That was just lashed out at the world. Thanks a lot, Nurse Innes. That would be, you know, that's another theory. You know, let's just put that up on the board and see if it sticks. <laughs> well, I'll let you know. I'll keep you posted. Okay. All right. Let's feel it out. But 40 yeah, something I think, divorced. Um, you know, I'll, <laughs> I'll let you know. <laughs> yeah, I have no I think- intention of stealing anyone's medication or cutting it. <laughs> There's no need to call anybody or be concerned. <laughs> it mostly, I think, really just mostly serves for spooky effect, right? Yes. And, and in that sense, it does great. Yes. And for the mystery, like as we're building the mystery, it's cool. Do I actually care why? No, not really. No, not really. Because like you said right off the bat, the actual uh, what is behind this mystery investigation serial killing spree in, in terms of who is the actual perpetrator is probably the least interesting part of the episode. Yes. For me anyway. Right. I and I I mean I would I would say that's not an unreasonable conclusion to to reach. I think I'm right on on board with you. But I don't think that's that's not saying it's a failure of the episode because I think there's so much else going on here. Yes. With the character stuff and and with just you know, obviously specific character stuff for, for mainly Scully, also Mulder to some extent, and then just sort of questions and issues that are raised and, you know, Harold's experience through this episode. I think that is the shit that, you know, has a lot of lot of meat on the bones. Agreed. So I think that's so all too. Good. I think so too. That's all good there. Yeah. So all right. I think I think we got their heads around it. Um yeah, and I, I guess it's really just um it's really just a bummer. For for Harold in the end, I know. Oh, Harold are- breaks my heart. When I one thing that I will say about the Harold character is, yeah, there's there's some moments where the portrayal is maybe a little heavy handed. But again, like we've said, it's really difficult. It, it's a difficult thing to portray yeah. sensitively. <laughs> but- yes. But you do have some moments like when Angie Pintero, the owner of the bowling alley, dies and Harold sees the wraith, realizes what that means, and they go out and they find that Mr. Pintero has had a heart attack. His grief, his crying over the man's body, it breaks my heart every time. Yeah, that is pretty visceral and pretty real. It's very and. visceral. And it's, you know, this is a character who they've, who they've told us, you know, because of his, his disabilities, it's difficult for him to connect with people. But he does connect with people in his own way. 
Right. But, and I mean, he, we, he, you know, yeah, absolutely. he connected with Mr. Pintero, someone he worked with for 10 years, and he feels this like wave of grief. Like, it, oh, it's just heart-wrenching. Connected with Mr. Pintero, he connected with Chuck. Even even the the other, I, I actually don't even know the character's name. Um, is it uh, the the other counselor kind of guy? At, oh at the, yeah, I forget his uh, name too. Martin Alpert, I guess is is the character's name I'm seeing here. But the you know the sort of lead counselor guy at this at this mental institution. Clearly, that guy has a connection to Harold as well. Yeah. So, so despite the fact, despite his disabilities and whatever, you know, and despite you know, and this is sort of what what Mulder, I think, takes some faith in as as things are pointing earlier on in the investigation more and more towards Harold obviously being the the primary suspect. Mm-hmm. These connections and the, the these people's opinions that. You know, despite the fact that, you know, I mean, I think that's one thing that is done well is that you can say whatever you want about, you know, the portrayal of mental illness. I think what it does do well is it shows that it can be hard to to relate to that person for for anyone that, that isn't in the same experience, right? Right. And the fact that these these people – in different walks of life, whether mental health professionals or fellow patient or just this guy who, you know, works in this bowling alley and, and works with Harold and sees him, has this connection that that speaks to his character despite the fact that he does seem, you know, quote unquote crazy and, and somewhat unhinged and, and it, you know, not never violent, but certainly like when he gets really agitated, you're like, ooh, boy. Right, I feel right. like you, you kind of feel yourself pulling back a little bit when he's getting really, really worked up. So, uh, yeah, I think that, that part works. I think so, too. Yeah. Yeah, I think so, so too. Yeah, you feel for him. And, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> as this is the other thing that at the end of the episode, I'm always kind of like, okay, so was she actually poisoning him? Or was she just withholding his medication? Like, was she swapping his medication with something mm. else that was harmful to him? Or was she just not giving him his medication? Like, that's always been a little fuzzy for me, too. Yeah, I think that is a little unresolved. I, I think Scully, at the end, sort of comes to the conclusion that she maybe wasn't directly i mean she basically talks about how you know harold wasn't dying you know she's kind of saying that Mulder's mm. hypothesis might be wrong here and obviously maybe there's there's another motivation in scully's head you know subconsciously seeking for for that to be the answer because he wasn't dying until this medication was withheld from him for extended amount of time so i guess poisoning by by absence right but but i guess it it is also possible that i mean that that bitch is crazy. Nurse Innes is <laughs> wouldn't 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 put it past her. Wouldn't that's that's for sure. Her. No, 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 no. Um, so let's talk about so the the wrap to the episode. This you already kind of mentioned this this conversation that Scully and Mulder have. Um, you know where they they wrap on the investigation, and also where the truth comes out between them. Where where Scully tells Mulder about about what she experienced. And uh, Mulder reacts a little bit harshly, I think. Yeah, you think? 
I mean, I think initially it's, um, and I'm, I wouldn't necessarily say it's unrealistic or, or maybe even it's unfair, but I, I think, you know, I, I brought up earlier that maybe Scully has some guilt about not telling him. And I think right here, it's pretty clear that Mulder feels betrayed. Oh, that's for sure. There's a great listener comment. We'll have to make sure to read it that addresses this directly. I'll say for me, I, I you're not wrong. I think you can see that he's he feels a little betrayed and maybe a little frustrated. Like he doesn't seem angry, angry. Like to me, I read kind of frustration, yes. which I can understand because from his perspective, like he knows that. He wants to be there for Scully. He wants for her to share this stuff with him. He wants for them to work on this together. So, and, and that can be frustrating when, when you know, when your partner or the person you're working with is, from your perspective, holding back unnecessarily. Yeah. That can be frustrating. But I, I mean, I, his, no, go for it. No, I mean, his first question is, you know, um, why weren't you honest with me? Right. And it's that, that part is more understandable. He kind of goes, he goes a little self-righteous when he talks about standing in the way of, of, he says something and I'm, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but he says something about when you, you stand in the way of, of the truth or you stand in the way of the truth I'm trying to find. It's like a little like, all right, buddy, you, I know, I know what he says. If you hide the truth from me, you're working against me. Yes. And yourself. Which, okay. Yeah. Does he say that? He does. Okay. <laughs> he, th- he throws a bone there. Well, <laughs> you know, he's not, he's not wrong. And not just in the, the sense of the work, but in terms of their partnership. Not even just about getting the work done, but yeah. about their partnership, about how they're able to work together. And there's clearly still residual breach of trust because at the end of that interaction, you know, they talk about the medical thing and Scully saying, that, you know, the doctor said that she was fine. And Mulder says, well, I hope that's true. And the first time I, I wa- rewatched it for this, uh-huh. I was like, you fucking dick. Like what a, what a passive aggressive response. Like, oh, I hope that's true. Like, yeah, no shit. But I think – I, I caught it that I was doing like an immediate rewatch right before, you know, we came on here, just kind of had a play in the background. And actually what I think he was saying was, I hope that's true is in, I hope that's what the doctor actually said, because maybe I don't really, I don't really know for sure that you you would be forthcoming with me about what the doctor is telling you. That's my I, read. Yeah. And, and I, just I th- the way she says it. And you got to yeah. remember, these people have worked together for years, day in, right. day out, traveling together, on the road together, in all of these life um, and death situations. Like they've been mm-hmm. through some serious shit. And he and she says, the doctor says I'm fine. And the way she says it, the tone in her voice and the look on her face, and she kind of does this thing with her eyes. She's bullshitting. It's a lie. Yeah. It's obvious that she's just saying the doctor says I'm okay. She's just saying it to say it. That's not the truth. And he knows that's not the truth. Yep. 
I think you're right there. I think you're spot on. And I think I was, uh, you know, I think I had my, uh, my usually, <laughs> my, my Mulder's kind of a shitty partner filter on that sometimes is hard to see past. <laughs> so, which I get it. I get it. I understand. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, you know, he, again, you know, Mulder has come to rely on Scully for a lot. But she yes. is only human. And when you right. know, when you rely on somebody, sometimes you you have certain expectations and the other person is only human and sometimes they might fall short. And so as much as he might want to expect that even with all this personal stuff going on, that she's gonna be forthcoming with these things, she's human and she has her own reasons for holding back. And, well, yes. you know, it's, it's just compl- – it's complicated. It's complicated, like a Facebook relationship status. <laughs> Let me ask you something. I don't know – I don't know if I've ever directly asked you this on, uh, on one of your previous, previous appearances. It's possible I have. Would you describe yourself as a shipper? Yes. Okay. So I am not – not that I don't – you know, not that I have issues with the fact that Mulder and Scully end up having, you know, a romantic relationship and not that, you know, as a viewer, I I don't enjoy aspects of it, but I think ultimately, you know, I don't, I don't yearn for those moments. I like the other things, but it brings me back to something you said early on, on, on our little uh, episode here, which was that the character arcs that Scully and Mulder go through and, and this episode overall has a lot of, a lot there for a viewer, shipper and non-shipper alike. And I was hoping you were going to say you were a shipper because I think, I think that shows that you're exactly right because I think we both feel strongly that this episode does do an excellent job in building, building the weight and, and giving an even richer dynamic to this relationship between the two of them, whether you're a person that's just rooting for them to you know, get down and bone or, you know, a reasonable, normal human being like me that sees that that might be a problem in a professional relationship with an unhinged fucking man child like Fox Mulder. But, you know, no, or something I get like it. that. I, I do identify as a shipper and, and I was a shipper back in the day too. I, you were I a, always, a live shipper. I, yes. I always went for that like, God, I hope they will. You know, that will yep. she won't, you know, will they, won't they? I was will always they, on the side they. of, please, God, can they just do it already? Yep. All but right. I completely understand, like, I can, I can see for people who love the show and love Mulder and Scully, but don't, they don't see it as a romantic thing and they're not, they're not rooting for that. But these people still are partners. There is a friendship and a closeness. Even if it never crosses into the romantic territory, their relationship matters. Yes. And this episode and- does a lot of work around what the current situation of their partnership is, given Scully's illness and they're continuing to work together through her illness and having to – they're both going to have to come to terms with 
what happens if the worst case scenario happens. Yep. Yeah, I think you were spot on with that assessment. And I do think uh, I think this this episode is a is more than anything the strongest part of it for me is the depth it adds to their relationship, whether you Same. are a quote unquote shipper or not. Boom. Absolutely. Which is it's one of the great strengths of this of this episode. Yep. For sure. Yep, yep, yep. All right. Well, before we, you know, get to our little end of show bits and bots that we got to do, um, anything else you want to kick out there about this this episode specifically? Oh, goodness. I I kind of want to go bowling now. <laughs> you know, I have a confession to make. I don't really fucking like bowling at all. No? Well... It's like there are other activities that are kind of the same to me as bowling, like golf or fishing, where it's okay. not that I dislike the thing, but if you take away friends and drinking, they're like, please. Like the thought of bowling for bowling's sake, <laughs> terrible. <laughs> but if there's a bar and I'm hanging out with some good people, absolutely. There always is. Right. Right. I, I, you would be hard pressed to find a bowling alley that doesn't have a bar. It would be insane. Or some pool tables or, you know, like they always do. <laughs> yes. An arcade. Yep. <clears throat> One of those little crabby or uh, claw grabby games off in the corner. Oh, yeah. Sure, sure. My hometown, a small city, not much to do. So it was like you could go to the mall, you could go to the bowling alley, or you could go do illegal shit. <laughs> Sometimes you could some people some people would go do illegal shit at the mall or the bowling alley. Right. Or after, you know, you can make or it after, a, right. Make it a multifunction night. I like that. So, so I'm not a big bowler, but I spent a lot of time at the bowling alley in the nineties. Okay. So that was the nineties, I think that was the time to be at a bowling alley. Yeah. I have to say. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of drinking yep. at the bowling alley. That's right. Well, in the words <laughs> words of Walter, fuck it, dude, let's go bowling. <laughs> no, um, I think I think we covered everything. I think you know, there's yeah. there's some spooky stuff in this episode. There's some really heartfelt stuff. There's all the character building. There's some yeah. real solid things about this episode. Some nice gore. We didn't even really mention. There's some pretty oh, fucking yeah. gnarly throat slitting kind of sequences. Okay, does it make you nervous every time someone in this episode crawls under the ball return? Oh, thing? for sure. I forgot all about that. Yes. Every time they crawl under there, I'm just like, oh my God, someone's going to die right now. And I, I've already seen the episode. I already know what happens. I thought in the cold open that, you know, I didn't remember the episode like beat for beat. And I was like, does this dude get wrapped up in this machinery <laughs> and just absolutely <laughs> eviscerated? In a pin setter, it, yeah, it it makes me it makes me nervous every time. Yeah, likewise, even, even likewise. Though I know. Even though I know, it still makes me nervous. It's not it's not cool. Don't climb under their kids. <laughs> well, um, shall we do a listener comment or two? Yeah, let's do that. All right, you. Uh, I think you mentioned you you might already have your eyes on one. Yeah, I do, and, and this is. From Rosemary Quinn. And Rosemary says, The three-minute scene in this stairwell at the end of the ep is what makes this otherwise forgettable episode memorable for me. 
Mulder's tone switch from anger to quiet and gentle, and the line, I know what you're afraid of, I'm afraid of the same thing, makes my heart hurt. And then she's got a little heartbreak emoji. Same, Rosemary. Yep, 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 yep. Harper chimes in in agreement with that uh, that great comment from Rosemary. Um, I'm going to read one from Mrs. Alicia McCall, McCall, something like that. Um, always love this episode. It has all the quintessential X Files tropes, slight but unexplained paranormal abilities, a great '90s style serial killer investigation with red herrings, secret messages, and clues in an unambiguous villain to feel morally superior to in Nurse Inez. A lot of 80s and 90s TV shows and movies would have you believe that mental health facilities only hire evil bastards. <laughs> they even managed to weave in the personal relationship between Mulder and Scully to enhance and progress the main storyline. Great acting from the two main stars and the supporting cast. I could even see this episode expanded into a B-grade 90s supernatural detective movie. You could show someone this episode as a great representation of what The X-Files is about. It is a love for me. Nice. So I think that's a great comment. I think Alicia probably is coming off a little bit stronger in some aspects of the episode than me, um, which leads me to ask you, where where does this episode fall uh, for you on the old classic lazy-ass LSG scale that we love so much? Hey, it's not lazy. It's very scientific. <laughs> it's a like for me. This is a very strong, solid like. I want to love it because there's – aspects of the episode that I love but ultimately the reveal of the mystery knocks it down a little bit for me it's a like okay I'm right there with you um I do love to see you know I love when people are fired up like lo- love and uh you know I don't want to belittle it by calling it a random episode but like you know you have hundreds of episodes and, you know, Elegy is, is is one that's just kind of out there that you're probably not going to see on a lot of top lists. But yeah. that is a great thing about this show that, you know, you can just grab onto and connect with an episode that, you know, might not be a big hit. And I think everybody has some episodes like that. Everybody has some favorites that are never going to make a top list. So it is also a like for me. And uh, that leads us to uh, our last little bit here, which is to do the three stars. So, oh boy. Uh, I'll let you call this. You want to go first? All right, I'll go first. All right, all right. So, my number three this week is going to be Jillian Anderson as Scully. She gives a great emotional performance. Scully is going through just these waves of conflicting emotions. The crying scene in the car at the end. Oh, mm. girl. <laughs> I like I feel it. She's crying in the car and the, it yeah. So, Scully for my number 3. Number 2, Mark Snow for the score. Ooh. The score in this episode is really good. It's there's moments where it goes kind of Hitchcock thriller and and then there's other times where there're these really stirring emotional pieces of music. It's a really Great score. There's times where the score comes in kind of forcefully and then other times where it kind of recedes. It's nice. I really, I think it really Mm. sets the mood and the flow on this. It gives it a cinematic feel to me. And number one, I'm going to give it to Duchovny as Fox Mulder. Wow. Hear me out. Okay. You know, I... 
Oh, and this is something I didn't say about Scully, and this is why she's number three and not number two. She kind of made me a little angry this week. The blatant really? disrespect to Mr. Pintero. She was very dismissive to him. He's a very yeah, nice she, man. Yeah. She, she, she did kind of fucking a, shit on that guy. Yeah, she could have shown him a little more respect. So, I mean, I got over it. I forgive her, but this is one of those episodes where we and we've seen this before in Roland and in and in several other episodes where Mulder does really good at communicating with and relating to the misfits of the world. Yes. Roland, another classic can't get right episode. You know, and and Mulder has we oftentimes kind of focus on how myopic he is about his search for the truth and the aliens and the work. And it comes off as selfish. And and definitely that's that's true. But he does also have this great capacity for compassion. To, and, yeah, I think you're – and st- sorry to interrupt, but no. you nailed it with the – to the misfits of the world. That's yes. That's a great point. And in this episode, he he's able to communicate with Harold as someone who's just meeting Harold. And we've seen – you know, there are people that kind of live and work with Harold that have – learned how to communicate to him. Mulder communicates to him pretty well right off the bat. And he he recognizes in Mr. Pintero someone who genuinely saw something. Or, you know, who's who's not just spinning a line. Like this man believes that he saw an apparition. And I think Mulder comes across very compassionate in this episode, even with Scully. Like there's moments where he asks her, like, how to go with the doctors? Like he's he's kind of trying to get more out of her in terms of what's going on with her. She's not ready for her own reasons, but he does keep trying. Like there's, he's showing her compassion. He's showing other people in this episode, compassion. I'm here for it. He's my number one. Well, it's a hell of a good sales pitch. I like it. <laughs> um, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad you, you, you put Mark snow, snow in there. Snow, Mark snow. Because um, I've mentioned this before, uh, Dean has a much, much better ear than I do for like film scores and music in general. Um, I'm kind of like, I think in some ways I'm, I'm a, a perfect viewer because the score just kind of works on me mm. without me noticing it. Right. Where like, I just, I don't have the ear to like really pick it out unless I'm, I have to like deliberately listen for it. And there's many movie scores that I absolutely love, but usually just kind of watching through, if I'm watching it, I don't pick the things out. So I'm glad you brought that up in this one since, uh, since Dean isn't here to, uh, to be the musical ear. I'm glad you have one. He is, yeah. That's usually, that's usually something he's, he's like right on top of that. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, uh, my three stars, um, I am actually going to give, uh, <laughs> I'm going to give number three to Mr. Sidney Lassick, um, as Chuck Forsh. Oh, Chuck. Uh, he doesn't have a lot of screen time, but God, I just like, this guy just pulls at my heartstrings. Um, I, I, I love watching him. I'm like so into everything he says. It's so, I just feel like empathy towards this guy and I'm kind of a cold bastard and it just, it, it works on me. I think he's great. He's a great character actor. It was great to, to see him in this one. So, uh, number three for Sydney. 
Number two, I'm actually I'm going to give it to, and I, I debated this one a little bit, but I'm going to give it to uh, Stephen Porter as as Harold. Nice. I don't think this is a. Uh, Academy or Emmy or whatever the hell awards you get for TV um, winning Emmys. performance Emmy, <laughs> um, but I also think that it's a lot to ask of someone. He has to do what he's doing a lot, and I think he does it pretty well. And I think there are some moments when he really delivers. You know that, that moment when um, the Angelo Pintero there, our, our bowling alley patriarch, when he goes down the, the kind of plaintive wailing there, oh. a, a couple of his interactions with Mulder. Um, there are some moments when I, I really do think that he, he connects. And I, I just think, I think it was a really challenging spot to be put in. So I kind of want to tip the cat, cap to him there. Nice. And I'm going to give number one to Jillian Anderson as Scully, of course. Um, I th- I feel that the strength of this episode relies more than anything on Scully's arc and specifically on a few moments the the sequence of her with the counselor um with her and Mulder in in the hallway towards the end and that one scene in the car um with that close up you know face on camera shot and I think she fucking delivers, and uh, she she does a, a a lot for the character in this episode. So I think uh, think she earns the number one star uh, for me in this it's one. A, you and, have a beautiful three stars, and as do you, as do you. And actually, you know what? I I just realized this because we didn't really you know until you mentioned it in yours. That little final shot. I forgot about – so she sees – and I, I actually think it's really cleverly shot where she, it's looking – You know, the, the camera's right up close on her face and then you see the ambulance going by and you see her like POV drift following the ambulance as you kind of naturally would and then seeing Harold in the rearview mirror. Yeah. It's kind of like – it's almost – I don't want to call it a jump scare but it, you know, it's a little bit of a you know sudden shock. And I, you know, maybe it's just an unintentional, maybe it's just a nice kind of – opportunity to throw it in but it is the only apparition in the episode that we see after the victim is dead yeah so does it beg the question is this an intentional thing that is cleverly put in of is this in fact not the same death omen is this in fact like a different kind of thing is this harold kind of reaching out to her in in some way maybe right yeah it's open-ended yeah, I like that. I like that. It it's, what you will. it's a little ambiguous if you if you think about it, which is cool. It is. No, definitely. So. I'm glad you brought that up because it is. It's a nice touch at the end. I like it. I like it. Well, Carmelita, before we uh, before we wrap this thing, and I'm sure this will not be your your last appearance on the show. We would love to have you back again. Um, any anything else you want to? Uh, you want to throw out there? You want to plug? You want to tell listeners about anything at all? Oh, well, if anyone's looking for me outside of my appearances here, you can find me on Twitter. I'm always on Twitter. Maybe a little too much. <laughs> also on Letterboxd. You can see what I'm watching. Same handle for both. 
at Carmelita says. And everyone at too, if you're Carmelita on Twitter, says. you should be following this podcast's Twitter. Yes, please. Let if me, you are on Twitter, connect that because email. that is that is managed by Carmelita herself. And very, very and BP nine thousand. We share okay, and on BP. that one. Yeah. Yes. So this podcast you can follow on Twitter at the X Files Pod, and you should absolutely do that. You should do that. Please do that. Um, since I didn't do enough the first time, I'll, I'll come back and do it again. Thank you so much, Carm, for for coming on. It was it was a pleasure. Um, I really enjoyed both these episodes we've gotten to do. I think the listeners absolutely did too. It's great that we could give Dean a, a guilt-free and very, very well-deserved vacation and, and still get content out there that I think listeners will dig. Oh, the pleasure was all mine. I was so happy to talk X-Files with you. It's been a blast. We're going to love having Dean back, I know. But yes, he absolutely deserved a break. Much deserved. And I'm, you know, I was just happy to be able to talk X-Files with you. So thanks again. Outstanding. I was very happy. Um, And we will look forward to uh, being back with all of you, Dean and I, um, to uh, wrapping up season four pretty soon. Only two episodes left. So um, we'll be coming at you soon. We'll post for our our next uh, episode and that will be back live with, uh, with Dean at the controls with the Mixler business. So... In the spirit and the tradition of the X-Files podcast, Carmelita, please bid these good people adieu. Take your poison, Harold. Go on. You've been listening to the X-Files podcast by LSG Media. Visit us on the web at libertystreetgeek.net. That's libertystreetgeek.net. 